History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 524th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I'm your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, on this episode, we are featuring a location that was suggested by our listener, Nate. This is up in the Pacific Northwest, St. Ignatius Hospital in Washington State. And when Nate wrote his email to me, he said, I know the perfect person for you to have on about this location as well, Valerie Gregory. So she's going to be joining us in just a bit to tell us about the history here and some of the paranormal experiences that people have had. She's been leading tours here, specifically the ghost tours and ghost hunts for nine years. So she's got some great stories to tell. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to bringing this to the listeners. Before we get into that, we want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Jersey, David, Michelle with two L's, and Richard. Thank you so much for joining the Spooktacular crew. And now this moment, Noddity. The moment in Oddity was suggested by Kim Gasiorowski. Many of our listeners are taphophiles and enjoy the peace and tranquility of a beautiful cemetery. Walking along, admiring various headstones and oftentimes extravagant mausoleums. We would imagine a sudden boom from an explosion of a mausoleum would scare and shock most people. If the explosion didn't scare you, the noxious fumes assaulting your nasal passages would certainly disgust you. This phenomenon typically happens in above-ground crypts. You see, when bodies are in a state of decomposition, they release gases as they begin to liquefy. If there's no way for those gases to be released from a mausoleum coffin, kabam! you end up with a putrid mess and possibly a cracked mausoleum wall or two. The solution to this ghastly issue is to be certain that the casket itself has a burper installed. Yes, you heard that correctly. A burper valve allows the gases to be released and oxygen to enter the casket so that the dehydration process can occur. Sounds similar to some Tupperware containers, doesn't it? Now, we read some articles that indicated that this... Wait, 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 wait. So maybe we should start making coffins out of Tupperware. Wouldn't it be easier then? You just go in every so often and crack the lid a little bit and... You need to copyright that idea right now. Now, we read some articles that indicated that this whole story may just be an urban legend. However, the thought of experiencing the malodorous discharge of decomposition gases from a mausoleum explosion due to lacking a casket burper valve certainly is odd. Hey Spookies, just breaking into the moment naughty and this month in history to share a trailer from our friends over at the Minds of Madness podcast, Tyler and Beck. They've always been great friends of us and this sounds like an amazing series they've produced. On February 4th, 
The Minds of Madness is set to release an investigative four-part series centered on a cold case from nearly four decades ago. At first, it was just, my mom's gone. And then it became, you know, your mom was taken by a bad man. They found video of him killing women. If you'd ever watched any uh, episodes of Breaking Bad, that's exactly what you would see. He buried these 11 women and kept going out there. He made a road going out there. You got this dude saying, hey, I'm going to show your family these pictures. And, like, he's secretly taping her. The cops don't care. We're nothing to them. Dumped her like a piece of garbage, you know? I don't see anything that screams there's two people doing this. I never thought anything was going to come of this case. Ever. Listen to the Minds of Madness series, Who Killed Jennifer, starting February 4th, wherever you get your podcasts. And now, this month in history. In the month of February, on the 21st in 1931, Alka-Seltzer was first sold in the United States. Its origin can be followed back to the flu epidemic that hit the states back in 1928. The president of Miles Laboratory, Hub Beardsley, had heard a rumor that the employees of the local newspaper were all healthy and working. Meanwhile, the majority of the townsfolk were suffering quite badly with flu symptoms. Upon visiting the newspaper, Beardsley found the staff working like normal. Inquiring about any illnesses within the company, Hub was told that anytime the employees were feeling any flu-like symptom, they would drink a mixture of aspirin and baking soda, which eliminated any signs of illness. When Beardsley returned to the laboratory, he conferred with his head chemist, who developed a mixture of aspirin, sodium bicarbonate, and anhydrous citric acid. The antacid would become effervescent when added to water. To test the new product, Beardsley took 100 pills on a cruise and supplied free samples to anyone who was feeling ill. The results were that every person who took the novel medication received some form of relief. Due to this test, Miles Laboratory introduced Alka-Seltzer to their lineup of medications. Although there are variations of the original formulation, one constant that remains is the plop-plop-fizz-fizz-oh-what-a-relief-it-is jingle that we are all familiar with. St. Ignatius Hospital dates back to the 1890s and was started by a group of nuns from Montreal. For over 70 years, it served as a healthcare facility and then reopened as an assisted living facility that shuttered in 2003. The building was left to decay for many years, but was taken under the wing of the Colfax Chamber of Commerce and the Whitman County Historical Society in 2015. Tours have been hosted since then, and some of them include Talk of Ghosts. Join us and our guest, Valerie Gregory, as we explore the history and hauntings of St. Ignatius Hospital. Before we get into talking about the hospital, we want to talk a little bit about the woman who built it, who was a nun, who was also an architect. I love that so much. I know. I just was like, a nun who's an architect? Amazing. So St. Ignatius was designed and built by Mother Joseph. Mother Joseph was born as Esther Pariseau in 1823 in Quebec, Canada. 
she entered the Sisters of Charity of Providence Convent in 1843. So she was only 20 when she decided to do that. She led her congregation to the Pacific Northwest of the United States, and they established a network of schools and healthcare facilities. Mother Joseph was the first female architect in British Columbia, and she built 11 hospitals, seven academies, five schools for Native American children, and two orphanages. These were spread through four states. She died of a brain tumor in 1902. I mean, my goodness, all the accomplishments. It's amazing. She's very, very accomplished. Valerie Gregory is the director of the Whitman County Historical Society and a tour guide at St. Ignatius Hospital. And our listener who suggested this location to us is named Nate. And he goes, if you're going to talk to somebody about this location, Valerie is the one you want to get in contact with. And so she's being very gracious and giving us a little bit of her time to join us. How are you? I am great. One of the first things we'd love to start with is you telling the listeners a little bit about yourself. Like, Obviously, if you're the director of a historical society, you're into history, and we know you like haunted stuff, too. So how did you get into history and then the paranormal as well? Yeah, so I am I'm the director of the Whitman County Historical Society, and um, I've always kind of been interested in history, but the paranormal came later in life. Uh, we had this abandoned hospital that made the list in Washington state that is called the most endangered list. Now that is not a list you want to be on. Um, we became the number one most endangered building in the state of Washington. Wow. Um, oh my. And so at that point we had to rally the troops and figure out what we were going to do with this building that was built in 1893. The other significance of the building is it was built by mother Joseph. So she's a very famous nun, and um, she was also an architect. She was named the first architect of Washington State, and it was the last building that she built. So we really had to spring into action. And one way that we thought we could do it, because everybody for years and years has always said that St. Ignatius was haunted. And a bunch of us had watched ghost shows and gone to different things. And we were like, you know, I think this would save this building. So we brought some different paranormal investigators in and instantly they were like, yeah, your building's haunted. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of knew that because it's kind of terrifying when you walk in. Um, we have a lot of people who won't even walk in. At that point, we were like, okay, we're going to, we're going to kind of build this up and get on some TV shows and do some different things and save this building. And, um, I remember one article, I think it was the spokesman review said, um, uh, can go save a town or a building? And the answer was yes, it can. <laughs> so that's kind of how I got into paranormal was by chance. And we knew that paranormal tourism was huge right now. So we decided that that's the route we were going to go. Yeah, we've had a lot of people tell us, you know, maybe it's not okay to go into these places and talk about the ghosts and have ghost tours and ghost hunts because it's disrespectful. And we always say it puts a roof on the place. So it's yeah. pretty important. Absolutely. Important. And I think the main thing, too, that we've always focused on is we we do the paranormal stuff and we have the equipment and everything. But. Along the way, we always tell the history of the of the building and how important it was to the whole county because we were the only hospital in the county. 
Uh, we had our own nursing academy, so which is huge for a town of 2,500 people. It, I mean, it really changed Colfax. And so we always love to tell the history along the way, along with the spooky things that happened to us. So it really is a fun tour. And uh, we just, we really respect the building and the spirits and the people that come. So you have a special connection to this building. I think I read that you were born there. I was born there. Yes. Oh, wow. My five brothers and sisters were born there also. So if you were born in Whitman County, this was the hospital you would have been born in. Uh, Spokane, Washington is over an hour away. And back then, we didn't have a very good road that led to Spokane. So you would have been a St. Ignatius baby. So you said that this was built in 1893. Of course, with a nun who was an architect, which just blows my mind, what made them decide to build a hospital to begin with and then choose Colfax to put it in? Yeah, so Colfax was picked because the city of Colfax donated the land that it sits on and the Chamber of Commerce donated $5,000 to entice the sisters to come to Colfax. We were up against like, you know, Pullman, Washington's only 20 minutes away and they got the university. Walla Walla's only two hours away and they got the prison. And I always say, I think we won. <laughs> so absolutely. <laughs> I love that. Can you describe the hospital a little bit to those of us who haven't seen it? Like how many floors does it have? And was it all built as it is today at one time or did they add to it over time? Yeah, so it has, right now it has six floors and a separate morgue that's underneath the building. You have to go outside to get to that. Um, It's over 50,000 square feet. It was added on numerous times over the years. So in the beginning in 1893, it was pretty small. Uh, And in 1917, they added on an addition. And then 1927, they added on another addition. And in 1930s, they added an extra floor. So it really had a Victorian look in the beginning. And then when all of these additions started going on, then now it has a real institutional look, I would say. Um, it's huge. Uh, but yeah, it definitely changed over the years and it stayed a hospital till 1968. And then it became a home for development disabled and the mentally insane. So it stayed an asylum until 2003. Oh, wow. Wow. So it's only been shut down for about 20 years. And it really has, I mean, I know that the roof had caved in. And so for like 20 years, the elements were kind of getting in there. So it's been pretty battered during the time that it had been abandoned before you guys got a hold of it. Yeah, definitely. We had leaks in the roof and, windows had been broken out. And I've been doing this for nine years, doing the tours, and I've been through four owners. And there were a few owners that they didn't even want a key. So I was the only one with the key to the building. So I was kind of the keeper of St. Ignatius. Our new owner loves it. And he has done so much with the money that we've made from the tours. He puts it all back into the building. So we have a new roof, he, I think he's put in already 32 new windows. Um, he, he's roofed the nursing academy, which is in a separate building on the property. Uh, we have a little bit of electricity and one floor. 
So he really has, it's been a game changer for us, just the stuff that he's done. And so I feel so good about it now that I know this building's going to be saved because Austin and Laura Storm, they're this young couple. They're the ones that bought it and they have been just a godsend for Colfax. They're wonderful people. How fantastic that you came across owners that now are stepping up so much to save the building. Yeah, yeah, they have a passion for it and uh, they have just done a wonderful job. I'm, I'm, I feel privileged to work with them and I'm so glad they kept me on. Like when they bought the building two years ago, I was like, okay, do you want me to keep doing the ghost hunts? You know, it's a great revenue source and, um, and it brings a lot of tourists to Colfax, Washington. We counted the other day, I think 56,000 people have come to Colfax, Washington just for ghost tours. So it really has boosted the economy. It's been great. And I love that that happened because I was following the history there for a little bit. And I saw that the Historical Society had lost the lease there. And so then they weren't doing any more touring. And I'm like, no, no, no. And then I saw that Laura and Austin had bought the place and that they were like, not only were they like open to continue doing the tours there, both historical and the ghost ones and the hunts, but also that they were rehabbing the building because that's the most important part because over time, it'd finally get to be too much where you, you couldn't even go into the building anymore if you don't get it rehabbed at some point. Yeah, so that's, that's exactly right. We were, there was a couple years I was like, oh, is this safe? <laughs> and it was. <laughs> we kept having the fire department come in with us and they were like, no, you're good. We're like, okay. But now, <laughs> it's like, okay, here we go, team. But now it's great. I mean, they've, they've even shored up all of the floors. They've done so much work. Every time I go in there, there's something new. Um, he's even earned enough money now that he has a contractor on site. So every okay. time I go in, the contractor's in there. And he even volunteers to help me with my ghost tours. So it is really a family affair. Everybody just uh, pitches in and helps. and. Um, the contractor has great stories. He's in there all the time and he's scared to death of the building, but <laughs> well, it's good. It hasn't scared him away. Exactly. He's hanging in there. <laughs> Sounds like a wonderful team with their hands all over the, the entire yeah. process. I love that. Yeah. Well, obviously you've been in there a lot as well. So of course we'd love to hear what unexplained stuff has happened to you. Yeah, I've had everything from shadow figures to a woman scream, which I think that was probably the most terrifying thing I've ever heard was a lady screaming. And I knew I was the only one in the building. The greatest thing about that is that other like TV shows and some of my uh, YouTubers have actually caught the same scream. So it wasn't yeah. just me one time hearing it. Um, other people have actually captured it. Um, and of course, I wasn't recording. I was just walking through the building, shutting the building down for the night. But we also hear little kids. Well, so in eight in uh, 1918, we were the epicenter of Spanish influenza. So about 200 little kids passed away at that hospital and two nurses that were taking care of those children over the years. And so a lot of times we'll hear little kids' voices or they'll giggle. We have a phasma box and all you hear is just those little kids giggling. A lot of times on the SLS cameras, we'll see little kids. You can tell they're short and they'll show up standing next to us and hold our hands. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. 
Um, we, I do think we have some residual in the building where it's just kind of a loop of energy. We'll often hear what sounds like a group of people running up the stairs at us, and they would be running towards the operating room. So oh. I think that it was probably an emergency, and they were all trying to get to the operating room. Because sure. we a lot of times on the stairs, we won't get intelligent conversations or intelligent things with our equipment but it's just the running and it is loud when they run. So, um, and it, that's quite often, like we'll, we'll catch that quite often on our tours. Nice. Well, you said that you've seen shadow figures. What did that appear like to you? We have, we have a couple of questions in regards to that. <laughs> yeah. So I have seen something block out the light on my cameras. So we have cameras throughout the building and Often I'll see what looks like a person walk in front of it. And I know I'm the only one in the building. Some people have caught pictures on like full spectrum cameras, but look like the outline of a person and nobody else is standing on that floor. Kind of like that. I have seen a weird thing crawl down the hallway. Which, oh. yeah, no, that was scary. <laughs> I just left. I was like, oh, I'm sure the building's fine. Um, <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> isolated, and you could kind of see through it, and it crawled, and but it was big. And then when it stood up, it actually blocked out a ladder that the contractors had left in the middle of the um, hallway. So this was like, large. It was large. It was really large, and so um, kind of like that. Those are kind of the shadow figures that I've seen personally. Now, do you have a a feeling or a perspective when you've seen them? Do they seem two-dimensional to you, three-dimensional, any any direction that that's kind of gone in terms of what you're viewing? I would say more two-dimensional, not I haven't seen like I haven't seen anything that looks like like I could tell the color the, of the clothes they were wearing or anything. It was more like a shadow or a dark figure. One gal did get a picture on a day tour. So it was just a historic day tour because we do all kinds wow. of tours. We just don't do paranormal historic day tour. And I was giving the tour and she took a picture. And in the reflection of one of the TVs, um, she could see me and you could tell even what color shirt I was wearing. And behind me, which nobody was behind me, is a picture of a little girl in a white dress with long black hair. And she looks like she's touching my back. And it is oh, clear. Wow. Like, she doesn't really have legs, but she does have a dress on. And that's probably the only, like, three-dimensional thing that I've ever seen. And it was in the reflection of a TV screen. Okay. So I don't know if you're familiar with the children's book, Flat Stanley. Yes. The only time that I saw a shadow figure, that's kind of how I describe it, because that's it just is that very singular dimension. It, it doesn't have a lot of depth to it, but it's definitely there. And you can see the outline of the body, but nothing additional. So I was just curious as to what your experiences were like. Yeah, that's exactly what I've seen most of the time. Yeah. 
This is fascinating because we literally were just interviewing one of our listeners last week and she had seen a shadow figure as well. And so she and Kelly were comparing notes and they both, because I've never seen one, and they both were like, yeah, it was two dimensional. And our listeners said two dimensional. And now you're saying two dimensional. So I'm getting the feeling these shadow figures are very two dimensional. And I wondered if it's because they they're having some kind of a problem with fully manifesting or because we don't really know what they're made from, you know, or what, what that is. So it's yeah, just, it's I would, very interesting. I would guess it takes a lot of energy for them to manifest. And I've heard, I mean, I'm just, again, I always say I'm just a tour guide, but I have seen things. <laughs> I'm, just like, I'm not an <laughs> expert. I'm not like a paranormal expert, but but I do think it takes a lot for them to build up the energy to do things like touch our equipment or turn on the EMF, you know, and I've just kind of learned that over the years of doing it. And I think they feed off of the energy from our, our equipment. And I also feel like people bring things with them. Oh, yeah. Like every night is different at St. Ignatius. And I'll have nights that are off the hook that I'm like, I don't even know what this is or who it is. I don't think it relates to the hospital. And then I'll kind of follow different groups around and watch what they're doing. And then I figure out which person it is. So I do think people have energy that they, that they bring with them. I'll usually tell the other groups, maybe go hang out with that guy. He seems to have something going on. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> well, we definitely feel like they feed off of our energy as well, because we'll be in a, a location doing an investigation. And I've always wondered why they go into like 2 a.m., 3 a.m., because about midnight, we're in our 50s. So, you know, we're starting to be, we're, we're usually in bed by nine. Yeah. So our energy's already going down. And it just seems like you can feel that the energy is just, you know, down too. And it's like, yeah. I yeah. think that they're feeding off of us and we're worn out. So they're just like, we're ready to go to bed too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. People always want to stay in St. Ignatius till like three o'clock. And I always tell them, be there at like nine or 10 o'clock. Because I think as a hospital, it was probably more active the earlier, earlier on. And at night it got real quiet and it does get real quiet in the hospital. So I always tell people, you know, sometimes the earlier you're there, the better it is. I kind of like it during the daylight because you can see stuff too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you and you you hear things and see things during the day too. I'm like, yeah, it's just as haunted during the day. I don't I don't put them away if I can't go in a closet. Yeah, <laughs> no, the spirits don't care. You know, it's pretty scary to hear you talking about this thing called the crawler or the creeper. It seems like mm -hmm. all of these bigger institutions all seem to have that little pet. That's yeah. the creeper or the crawler that mm -hmm. hangs around like that. And so that's probably one of the scariest things you've experienced. But I know that you also had some kind of an experience when you brought your son in to do a tour with some of his friends. Yeah. Yeah. It was after a homecoming dance and a bunch of the parents said, hey, can you take our kids in, you know, after after the dance? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So me and another mom took the kids in and these kids are probably like 16 years old. And I would, I, I always say like all hell broke loose that night. And I had been in there for years and had never had anything like this happen. From the moment we walked in, you could tell something was going on in the building. Like the hair stood up on the back of your neck. Even the other mom who was one of my tour guides said, oh, it's something's going on. And I go, yeah, 
We could hear doors opening and slamming. We knew nobody was in the building because we have um, security cameras and they would have triggered my phone. If somebody would have walked in front of any of those cameras and nothing, there was nothing. And as we got to the fourth floor, it sounded like people just running towards us. And it was the loudest I had ever heard it. All of the kids were crying at this point because it didn't stop. Like usually I'll hear something and then it'll stop. It just yeah. kept running. As I looked over the balcony, because you can see all the way down to the first floor from the fourth floor, um, there was nothing down there and nothing was coming towards us. And then we could hear doors opening and slamming on the fourth floor, almost like they were like, you need to get out. So we did. Wow. <laughs> like, I was like, everybody yeah. just follow me. I'm going first. And I told them, look at the back of my head. Don't look at the, the open doorways as we're going out because I knew they were going to be terrified because it's just pitch black in there. And so they just followed me out. We got out. It was, it was one of the scariest nights of my life just because it didn't stop. It just, we just kept hearing things and I've never had that happen again, which is really weird because I'm in there by myself a lot at like two o'clock in the morning. I have never had that experience again. Did any of those teenagers ever return? No, including my son, your son. My son had to because he's one of my tour guides, and he's on a lot of oh. he knows the stuff with me. So I'm like, you have to be in there. But none of those other kids, they're like, absolutely not. And their parents said, well, at least we know they're not going to break in now. <laughs> True. So they're not going anywhere near Saint Ignatius. Yeah. <laughs> That's fascinating because you, when you hear you, when you hear that kind of a description, you're like, well, if this was something residual, that doesn't sound like something that would happen in a hospital. Cause like you said, you might hear some running if there was rushing into the operating room for an emergency or something like that. But generally it's going to stop. It's not going to continue. So it makes you think, no, this was the spirits and maybe a concerted effort by them. Did they go? oh, there's some young people coming in here. We're going to have some fun with them because that's what we would do. Yeah. Oh, exactly. <laughs> or were they just like, we don't want that energy in here tonight for some reason? Yeah, I don't know. I, I do think that the energy picks up when we have younger people in the building. And so maybe that was it. I mean, usually the people that are on our tours are, are a little bit older than like 16 years old. So so maybe, I don't know, but I, I couldn't even believe what was going on. The other mom was terrified. And, and of course, we went back in after we got the kids out because we wanted to make sure that nobody had broken in. Yeah. And, and I was like, let's make sure. Let's look at the cameras. Let's look at the feedback. And then we'll go through every floor. And we did. And it was still just a weird feeling. Um, but mm. we knew nobody had broken in. So I just wanted to make sure that that we were actually hearing and seeing what we thought we were seeing. Yeah. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. So what kind of stories has the contractor told you? He he's had some good ones. Uh the one day they were jacking up the floors so they had these hydraulic lifts in there. As they were, and they have to slowly do this because otherwise windows would break and things would happen. So they slowly lift up these, uh, these, these hydraulic lifts and 
as he started lifting them, there were three three guys standing there, and one was the owner. They heard a woman yell, help me. And it was loud, and it was a screech. And they stopped, and they all looked at each other, and they said, what did you just hear? And they said, we all heard a woman yell, help me. So they stopped for that day. I was like, yeah, I go out and ran. Um, he's also heard spirits mimic me and my voice. So he was downstairs in the basement doing something. And the owner said, oh, I think Val's upstairs. And he goes, oh, yeah, I heard her. And they said, hey, Val, we're down here. My voice said something back to them. Then they could hear walking. And then they texted me and they said, Val, you're upstairs, right? And I said, no, I'm still down at my store, which is like a mile away. And I said, I'm not even in the building yet. I won't be there for two hours. And they said, no, they thought I was joking. Like they thought I was lying to them. And I'm like, no, I promise you, I haven't been in St. Ignatius all day long. And they said, something just mimicked your voice. They couldn't believe it. I mean, they even walked outside to see if my car was there. And I'm like, no, I'm not. They're like, quit pulling my leg. I know. They thought it was really. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think that was maybe one of the scariest times for him, just because he said it was clearly my voice. Have you heard your name called out before? Yeah, all uh, on the Phasma box, a lot of times it'll say Val's here or it'll say she's back because I'm there like all the time. And so I don't know if they like know who I am, but I think they probably get used to kind of the regular people that are there all the time. I don't think they're my friends or anything like that. <laughs> I, I don't I don't think so. But yeah, we have We've had him say other people's name that just come on the tours. And I won't even know that person's name. They'll say something and I'll say, oh, is there a, is there a Steve here? Is there? And they're like, yeah, that's my name. And I'm like, oh my God, like, how did they know your <laughs> name? I don't know. They, but we have had them call out other people's names too. Yeah. I was going to say, clearly you feel comfortable there. You've been there alone and you keep coming back nine years. So they're, must not be any animosity towards you necessarily. So I don't know that they would quote unquote be your friend, but right. I think they must like you a little bit. Yeah. I think they I think they just put up with me maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I always think in the month of October, they're probably like, oh God, here she comes again. Because in October, we do tours every single day. So 31 days straight and we sell out every tour. And w- on the weekends, we do anywhere from two to four tours on Friday and Saturday night. And so I always think in October, they're thinking, oh, no, we can't do this again. (laughs) This is, You know, you ask the same questions, you hear the same things all the time. So I'm sure they like the other months where it's slower. That's why we try to think of questions that they haven't been asked before, because I'm like, they're probably tired of, what's your name? How old are you? So we we try same to ask old, same things. old. <laughs> we had one night, we were with a group from Montana. They had rented out our building. And we asked the same questions like, what's your name? How old are you? Can you make a noise? So we walked into the kitchen and we had our phasma box going. So right when we walked in, the phasma box says, what's your name? And I said, well, my name's Val. And they said, how old are you? So they flipped it on us. And then they said, can you make a noise? And I go, hold on, hold on. They think we're dead. <laughs> it's like, okay. The guy goes, 
I have been on hundreds of investigations and I've never had this happen. And I go, me neither. I said, they literally flipped it on us. And then they asked, because a lot of times we'll say, do you know you're dead? And they said, do you know you're dead? And I was like, well, I might be dead inside, but I'm still here right now. And then we could hear we could hear them laughing at that. And I go, well, at least they like my joke. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, they clearly have a sense of humor. Yes, I think they do. I think they do. <laughs> oh, that is a lot of fun. I have never heard it being flipped back on people. I've never. And I haven't had it happen since. But the guy from Montana was like, this was the best thing ever. So, yeah. Yeah, I think the only thing that would even come close to that is occasionally we'll hear on the spirit box where you'll ask a question and the question will almost repeat again in the same voice. And we've often wondered, is that the ghost repeating the question or is it some kind of a weird audio artifact that happens with the spirit box? Yeah, who knows? I mean, earlier you said, well, I'm not a paranormal expert. I don't think anybody is because we don't know how any of this stuff works. We've even had times where we've asked them. We'll have nights where they're really not doing anything, but you know they're there. And you're like, you know, could you touch the EMF? Can you touch the flashlight? And the one time we actually asked him, we're like, when you touch the EMF, does does that hurt? Because we we had one that seemed to be very resistant to touching the REM pod or anything. And it said yes. And we're like, you know, we never thought about, does that like give them a little zap? Or I don't know. So yeah, I never thought of that. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of times they do have a bit of sense of humor because, I mean, the one investigation that we were on, I wasn't getting a lot of activity and I, I'm, my middle name is not Grace. I fell into a chair because I thought the chair was about four inches higher for the seat than what it actually was. And I made a cluster of noise and I started laughing because every time I do something non-graceful, I start laughing at myself. That's just how I am. Yeah. Built that way. Can't do anything about it. And all of a sudden, and I was telling the spirits, and I said, I hope you're laughing at me because I'm laughing at myself. And all of a sudden, I started getting all these reactions from the spirit. So, I mean, it's just one of those things where I think sometimes you just have to kind of break that ice and and do something a little different. (laughs) Falling on my butt and making a bunch of noise (laughs) sure broke the ice with them. (laughs) And they were kids. And, I, you know, I, I don't know. I definitely feel a a stronger connection with kids. So I like hearing, not that they're necessarily stuck there, but I I like that there's interactions with little ones and um, that they hold your hand and things of that nature. Yeah, yeah. I do. I feel like at St. Ignatius, some of our stronger spirits are children. They're kind of mischievous. They laugh, they giggle, they kind of, they'll push a ball. We've seen a ball be pushed down the hallway and I'm like, okay, that's something. But yeah, I do. I, I, the children are great there. And I've never felt, except the one time when I was terrified just because things were running, I don't ever think that they were trying to hurt us. Like I'll have, you know, some of the TV shows will come and say, oh, there's a demon. I'm like, there's not. I go, I, I've never felt anything like that. I truly feel like they just like to communicate and just kind of get their story out there. And we tell lots of stories about the uh, the people who have passed away there. There was one gal that was murdered by a doctor. And so we always tell her story, Agnes. She was, she, 1904, she was a school teacher. She was single. She got pregnant. And the doctor was buddies with the guy who got her pregnant. 
and he gave her seven times the amount of medication that he was supposed to. And he was a veteran doctor, like he wasn't a new doctor. And on her deathbed, she told her brother actually why she was there having the surgery. And she passed away and he he had to go to court for murder. Now, he didn't get convicted, but we always say we think he got away with murder because he did Agnes wrong. And so we'll talk about Agnes and things will, you know, happen and go on, you know, things will, the equipment will go off. And so we always like to bring the history back to it to try to find out who, who may be there, you know, what's, what's the names of the little kids. And we kind of have lists that are lists of people uh, throughout the building so that the people that are doing the investigations can ask questions if, if those spirits are there. So yeah, we try to, you know, help our investigators along the way on who who it may be. I think I'd read a story that one of the first deaths there was a railroad worker that had gotten, I don't know if he was crushed between a couple of cars or something. And so they think that his spirit might be there. Yeah, I definitely think he's there. His name was E.F. Martin. And he was the very first death at St. Ignatius. Uh, he was crushed between two railroad cars and he was only 35 years old. Um, he was from Missouri. And he was only in Colfax, Washington, because of the railroad. On our phasma boxes and on some of the spirit boxes, you'll hear train whistles. And like almost every single tour, you'll hear something to do with a train. And that's why we've always thought that he kind of roams the halls. Wow. It makes you wonder, how does he do that? I know. How does he make the I don't, train whistle sound? I don't know, but. Yeah, I'll hear a train whistle. We'll hear chimes too, like when the nuns were there and a baby was born, they would they'd set, you know, they would do the chimes and we'll hear chimes quite a bit and it's usually at the same time in the evening. And so I I was like, "Oh, I think a baby was born" because that was kind of their thing that they did. Um they were Catholic, you know, Catholic hospital and so they had their little routines that they always did and that was one of them. And one of our friends actually has the chimes that they used. On Halloween, we'll usually bring the chimes in and we'll play, we'll play the chimes to see if that will trigger anything. Yeah, we have, we still have quite a few artifacts that were from the hospital. Some of them are still there, like a lot of the equipment, beds, things like that. But some of the uh, doctor's bags, we have all the doctor's bags that are still in there. Oh, so that's that kind neat. Of, yeah, that kind of helps people use trigger objects to see if uh, things will go on. Was it Mother Joseph that you said had designed and, and got the hospital built? Yep, have you Mother Joseph. had yep. any kind of experiences that made you think she was there? I haven't, but I we have had experiences that other nuns were there, like some of the nuns that ran the location. Four nuns that were called the superiors, they ran the building and they actually lived in the building. So on the top floor of the nuns' quarters, and it is the most terrifying location in the whole hospital. And wow. it's the only location that I will not go by myself. Like, really? I had to go there one time and I ran as fast as I could. And again, I'm 57 years old. So I can't run real good. Um, <laughs> I ran. I shut the door, locked it because the door had flown open on the top of the building just from the wind. And so I locked it and then I just ran down the stairs because... It's something about that area. I feel like they're just watching us. And I don't know if they really like us or I don't know. I didn't want to take the chance. So I just got out of there. 
but it is pretty active up on that floor. The nurses school is a separate building, you said, right? Yeah. Yeah. The nursing academy is just right across the street. There used to be a bridge that led over there so the so that they could just walk straight across into the building. So we trained all of the nurses for St. for St. Ignatius and then Sacred Heart Medical Center in Spokane, which is a hospital that's still up and running. She built that building too. And so we were the feeder academy for that hospital in Spokane also. How long was the academy open for? Uh, they opened in 1911. And then I think it closed in maybe like the 1950s or late 40s. But in the years of like the 1920s and 30s, we produced a lot of nurses out of that building. And did What did they use the building for after that? You know, I think they used it just for storage. Because when we, okay. when we came in nine years ago, it was just full of doors and beds and you name it, you know, tables. And so I think they just probably used it for storage. And it was kind of in bad shape, but we did get a new roof on it this year. So... I think by the summer, we'll probably add that to our tours. People can go in there. And I don't know if that area is haunted. I've never gone in there and tested it out. But we might have some of our groups go in and see if there's anything going on in there. That was my next question. I was like, yeah, have yeah, you had anything yeah. happen in there? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I know. I mean, there probably was some things that happened. The nurses, there's a lot of nurses. So we also graduated the first two male nurses. Oh. So in 1941, Archie and Philip were the first two male nurses in the state of Washington to graduate because before that it was an all-female occupation. And so they graduated from St. Ignatius. And we have a picture of them with their graduating class in the hospital. We have a lot of pictures throughout the building so you can see the different nurses and nuns and people and I always say they were either the smartest two men or the stupidest two men to <laughs> oh. women in their class. Hey, I mean, it's good odds. <laughs> it's good odds for them. <laughs> strong guys. So, yeah. <laughs> now, did you ever have any experiences or do you normally have experiences yourself or with your groups down in the morgue? Yeah. Lately, I so on my six-hour tours, they usually get to go down in the morgue um, just because we have to go outside and underground and yeah, lately it's been super active. We've heard voices. They love messing with the REM pods. Yeah, it's just kind of a different feel down there too. Yeah, lately we've gotten quite a bit of activity. Obviously, you've done a lot of investigating there at the hospital. Have you gone to any other locations to investigate? Yeah, so uh, for the past six years, my son, again, probably doesn't like to go with me, but I make him go with me. <laughs> we have actually rented out like the West Virginia State Pen, Ohio State Pen. This year, we're going to Trans-Allegheny and Waverly Hills. So we're hitting the big nice. boys this year. Yeah. The Octagon Hall. Yeah, we've kind of, we kind of just picked different places. Alcatraz. Alcatraz was really fun. Um, cool. So we try to hit different locations and we kind of go. I love the history. I mean, we're, we love the history wherever we go. Crescent Sanatorium was one of my favorites. So we spent two nights at Crescent, and I know I don't think they're doing tours anymore. I think they're having some problems with their owners. Yeah, I think I saw that but too. It was historically, it was one of the neatest places I've ever gone just because of, you know, their buildings and everything that they have was just amazing. It was a huge 35-acre complex, super fun location. But we love to see how they do their tours 
um, compared to how we do our tours. And we've noticed that some of the other locations, they let in a lot of people on their public tours. So we only let in 10 people on our tours. We keep our tours super small. We let them use SLS cameras. We have phasma boxes, REM pods. We let them use all of that equipment. And I think that's crucial for us because of our location. We are located in the middle of a wheat field in eastern Washington state. The biggest town next to us is Pullman and Moscow, Idaho. Those are not big towns. So we have to make sure that we have like quality ghost hunts so that we have returning customers. And that has worked for us very well because we're not located next to any large city. So we, we always have focused on quality, not quantity of, uh, for our ghost hunts. And, and we love it. And, and the people love it because they know that they could be the only one on a floor. And they know that if they hear something, it was, it was not any of us. So important for that contamination factor. I love that you guys keep it as a smaller group. Yeah, yeah. I, and, and we've learned that from going to other locations. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is way too many people in here. You know, we're in there with 50 people. And I'm like, oh, geez, there's, I don't know if I caught anything. I mean, you know, and I think the equipment factor, we go to those other places and they don't give you any equipment like we give you. We work with some of the different people who build equipment and we'll try out new equipment to see if, if it's, if it's good or not. And we'll always say, we really like this piece of equipment. You should buy it from this company, you know? So I think that's crucial is that, is that these people have a great experience. And we do, we have lots of returning customers just because of that. A final question here for you is you've been to all of these different locations. What would you say is the most, not necessarily the scariest experience that you've had, but the most maybe awe-inspiring experience that you've had? Uh, West Virginia State Penitentiary. I would go back there. We barely had to use equipment because we heard and saw so many things. Wow. I was like, I can't, I remember saying to my son, have we even got out the equipment? He goes, no. He goes, it's nonstop. Like, and we had the whole building to ourselves. There was only four of us in this whole huge building. I mean, wow. Um, the tour guide was great and he just let us go. Um, but it was amazing the things that we could hear. And West Virginia State Penn is located in a residential area. There's not a lot of traffic around it. And we were there late at night and I was amazed at what I could hear and the things that we saw. So yeah, I think that was one that was super interesting. And their tour guide was wonderful because he told us the history and he he was kind of a jokester and and we really just hit it off with him. So I think that was probably our best experience at one of the other locations. All right. So we'd love to have you tell our listeners. I know, I think you're out of season right now. When is your touring season and how can they find out more about it? So we are open year round. If you can oh. put up with, if you can put up with minus 10 degree weather, you're, you're at the right place. Last weekend it was 10 degrees in there. It was cold, but my people were troopers. <laughs> we do have a warm room. Uh, so we can warm up throughout the night, but. Yeah, we do them year round. Our website is colfaxhauntedhospital.com. 
and you can get tickets online. And again, we only let about 10 people on each of our tours. Uh, we usually, during, during October, we do them every single night, but the rest of the time, we usually just do them on the weekends. So Friday and Saturdays are our big nights and yeah, go on there, get a, get a ticket and come and see us. Come to Colfax, Washington. We're about as far away as you can get. We're down here in Florida, but we're going to have to find a way to get to Washington. And it'll have to be not during the cold season because yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. think there's enough parkas that she could wear to have me get her up there. Yeah, we get down <laughs> to 30 degrees in the winter here and I'm like, oh, no, come in August. It's about 100 degrees. So we have extreme temperatures. We're minus 10 <laughs> and then in the summer, it's about 100 degrees for about two months. So and we are located in the middle of a wheat field. So it's, it's Love great. that. Rural. Well, Valerie, I want to thank you for joining us. This has been wonderful. Yes. Thanks for having me. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. There does seem to be a lot of activity here. Paranormal Lockdown visited in 2017 and Ghost Adventures visited in 2019. The crew caught an anomaly in a photo from one of their full spectrum cameras. It appeared to show a white misty apparition. And then Nurture Your Soul visited in December of 2023 and wrote of the experience on Facebook. What I experienced there personally were communications of love and excitement that I could see here. I saw four small children following us and peering out the windows at us as we passed by, which was delightful to them and to me. I felt palpable whimsy and delight that so many people still choose to visit there, and I felt nothing terrified, stuck, angry, or regretful. In fact, quite the opposite. St. Ignatius Hospital is a building in need of a lot of love, and it seems that it has people who want to honor it and rehab it now. There seems to be many souls that have not passed on and decided to stay within the confines of that building. Is St. Ignatius Hospital haunted? That is for you to decide. Well, as I told Valerie, we got to find a way to get up to Washington. <laughs> Most definitely. We'd love to have you guys find a way to get over to our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you'd like to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. We want to thank you guys for tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We want to welcome into the cemetery, Dolores Riggins. We're going to be putting you in a garden crypt. Thank you so much for supporting History Goes Bump. Be sociable. Drop the chain rattling, neck biting, and shape shifting. And join us on Facebook and Twitter at History Goes Bump. Like the page and follow us. She entered the Sisters of Charity of Providence Covenant. It's a covenant. It's a covenant.